Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. It was the end of the Lord Jesus' ministry when the Lord Jesus participated in a final Passover, the evening before he was crucified. This was a very important commandment that had been given by God to the entire nation of Israel. It was a commandment that was given for the children of Israel to remember the bondage that they once were in in Egypt and the freedom that they experienced through the salvation that the Lord provided to the nation of Israel when the nation of Israel was taken from Egypt by the very hand of God and brought into the promised land. This was a very important commandment, and everyone who was a member of the nation of Israel was required to participate in this festival. The commandment was very specific that if a person did not participate in this festival, they were to be permanently cut off from the nation of Israel. They were to never have any part in the nation ever again for the rest of their life. Now, the commandment was very specific with regards to the observance that a person had to go through. The first thing that a person had to do was that they had to select a lamb on the tenth day of the first month. This was very important, and that the lamb had to be observed for four days until the fourteenth day of the month, and then if there was no blemish found within the lamb, then the lamb would qualify as being a sacrifice on behalf of themselves and their family. So they would take the lamb to the temple in Jerusalem, and at Jerusalem on the 14th day of the month, the lamb would be sacrificed, and the family who sacrificed this lamb would then have to roast the lamb by fire, and they would have to eat the lamb as part of a meal that evening. Now they were also required to eat bitter herbs and also unleavened bread if they were going to be having any bread. That was also part of the law. They had to do this in Jerusalem. It was absolutely required. It was mandatory that this festival be observed in Jerusalem. If a person attempted to do this in any other location, in any part of the world, then they would most certainly be violating the commandment, regardless of how they observed it while they were there in their other location. If they were not doing this in Jerusalem, they were definitely violating the law of God. So it was a very important commandment to observe. Now, if a person was not notified early enough to get to the festival by the 14th day of the month, then that was acceptable. There was an alternative, and that was that they could return 30 days later on the 14th day of the following month, and on that day they could observe it in Jerusalem. So you did have a second chance one month later in the event that you could not get there in time. Because identifying the actual day of Passover was very difficult to do in that time period. In the time period that we are in now, it's very easy to look at a calendar and see when Passover is being held. But back then, identifying the day of the Passover was very different. You see, the calendars that you have today, presently, those are calendars based on a computational system to determine when certain festivals will occur. It really has nothing to do with the biblical means by which we would identify when the Passover was to be held. That was done very differently. It was based on the barley harvest. That was how we would know when the Passover would be held in Jerusalem during the time of the Lord Jesus. 
What that means is, is that the barley would be evaluated to determine whether or not it was ready to be harvested. And if it was ready to be harvested, then we would identify the day of Passover by that. For example, what they would do is they would go out to the barley fields surrounding Jerusalem and they would take some of the grain and then they would parch it with fire. Now, if the grain did not completely evaporate but remained and so that there was a little bit of a kernel that remained, then the barley would be ready for harvest or at least that would be the best approximation. Now, it does get to be a little bit more complicated than just this because they would then have to look back and see when was the most recent full moon that just occurred. Now, if the full moon occurred only nine days before, then they would set up signal fires and so that they would notify everyone in the nation of Israel that the barley was ready to be harvested, and knowing that the barley was ready to be harvested, they would know that this was now the first month in the Hebrew calendar. That's how the first month of the Hebrew calendar would be identified. Now, if it was before the tenth day of the first month, that is, if it was before the tenth day before the recent full moon, then they would know that they would select a lamb on the tenth day after the previous full moon, and they would select the lamb and begin traveling to Jerusalem so that they could participate in the Passover festival. And again, if they were too far away, they could come down a month later and observe the festival then. And if they did that, then they would be in obedience to the law. They would still be obeying the law as God required in the law of Moses. Now, if it was the 10th day of the month or beyond, then it would be too late. They would not have enough time to properly notify people so that they could actually acquire the lamb that they would need and ensure that it was a lamb without blemish. And so they would wait until the next full moon, and it would be at that time that they would announce that this is the first month in the Hebrew calendar, and so on the 10th day of the month, select your lamb, and on the 14th day of the month, be in Jerusalem so that you can sacrifice that lamb. That was the process by which everyone was notified of and would know when the Passover would be held, and that's how they would observe the Passover. We haven't done that for a long time, and there are many reasons why that is, why it is that the rabbinical structure has changed the way that they account for things. But from what I understand, as soon as the Sanhedrin is formally reestablished in the nation of Israel, I have been informed that they will go back to the barley harvest means by which they would know when the Passover was officially to be held. Not just the Sanhedrin, but they're also probably going to wait until they have the temple reconstructed. It's difficult to say exactly when they're going to do that. I have been informed that they intend to do that. We're just not certain when at this time. Now, the Lord Jesus was definitely observing a Passover. There's no question about that. As we read through the scriptures, we can see that the evening before he was crucified, he was definitely participating in a Passover, which means that he had his disciples go and find a lamb, and they sacrificed the lamb of the temple. They returned with the lamb and went up into the upper room. The lamb was roasted with fire, and they did eat that with bitter herbs and a number of other things. And so we do know that the disciples did participate in this Passover with the Lord Jesus. We can read about this in several passages in Scripture. For example, consider Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, where it says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said to them, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. 
And so we do know that he did this. Now, as we continue to read, we can see a very important event during this Passover. And that is found in verse 26 of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26, where it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's Matthew's account. Let's turn over to Luke's account. Luke also has an account of this Passover found in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 8, where it says, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will greet you, carrying a pitcher of water. And he goes on and describes the similar circumstance as to how the disciples would find where they would be setting up the Passover for him. Going down a little further, however, I'd like to read from verse 15. In verse 15, Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, there are some very interesting statements that were given here in Luke's account of the circumstance of the last Passover. Some very interesting statements. For example, the Lord Jesus said that he's no longer going to participate in a Passover until all is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, this is a very interesting statement because the Lord Jesus, while he did die, he was resurrected, and so he is now actually alive. And being alive, you would expect him to be obedient to God, just as he was when he was alive here on earth. And yet here he's making a very interesting statement by saying that he's no longer going to be observing the Passover in the way that he and the disciples were observing it at this time, because there is going to be a new covenant that is going to go into effect And this is as a result of his death and most certainly his resurrection. And so that's a very interesting statement that he made there. And I really wanted to take a moment and show that. But let me move on and show you something a little bit more pertinent with respect to this broadcast. Now consider what he says when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now this is a very important statement, something that we definitely do not want to overlook, because the Passover meal was all about remembrance. That is what the Passover was really about. It was about sit down and remember and rest and relax and remember the freedom that you now have in comparison with the bondage that you could have had in Egypt if the Lord God did not take the Israelites, take you out of Egypt. This is a very important theme, the idea of remembrance. And everything about the Passover is based on remembering this salvation that was given to the nation of Israel, the removal from Egypt and the bringing into the promised land. This is a big deal. And the Lord Jesus is now saying, do this in remembrance of me. 
This is a major transition to suggest that now instead of remembering what happened in Egypt and the freedom from Egypt, now there's something else. And I personally, I see this as remember what I have done for you already and the freedom that you now have from the world, from the entire world, not just from Egypt into the promised land, but now from the entire world that we now live in in the flesh. Remember that you have been set free from that and that we now enter into the kingdom of God as he is building it in accordance with the gospel, in accordance with salvation, the salvation that has now been given to humanity. Not just the salvation in the flesh from Egypt, but the true salvation in the spirit that has now been given to humanity freely to anyone, whether they are an Israelite or a Gentile, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from, regardless of where they are or where they are going to go. That has no bearing on the salvation that has now been presented freely to humanity for us all to be able to receive. This is a major transition for the Lord Jesus to identify himself and identify these issues in the context of the Passover is a major transition for any Israelite. For an Israelite to say, okay, beforehand, the Passover is something that we observed in one way for a certain purpose, and now the Passover is going to represent something else that we now remember as a result of what the Messiah has done for us, that is a major transition, and it is a transition not to be taken lightly. It is definitely a fulfillment of the Passover law. It is not to say that the Passover law is done away with. It is to say that it is perfectly fulfilled. Its purpose has been accomplished in the setting up of the infrastructure to bring about the Messiah. And now that that has been accomplished, we now have a new way of life in the Messiah that has been presented, that we have been transitioned to, and that he is describing right here. Now, there are some interesting details that you can consider when looking at these events. When you go through these passages in Matthew and in Luke, in Luke especially, as you walk through the passages, many people will look through these and they will say, well, it looks like this is an actual Passover meal. And what they mean by that is they say this corresponds very well to the traditions that the Jews are performing to this day during what they call the Passover meal. And so people have looked at this and they've tried to identify which cup is being drunk with respect to the order, the traditional order of holding a Passover. Which cup is Jesus referring to when he takes this cup or he takes that cup? What about the process that he is going through? And many people have certainly enjoyed participating in Passover seders because they have been told that this is the exact procedure that the Lord Jesus went through when he was performing his Passover with his disciples. And so people will look at that and they will say, well, now I have a greater understanding of the scriptures. I have a greater understanding of the Lord Jesus because now I understand these Jewish traditions. That's what's being promoted, and I certainly don't want to discourage people from experiencing that because I think it's a wonderful thing to do. I think it's a wonderful thing to experience. But I also don't want to be deceptive, and I have to be honest with you that what is being done there is not the same as what was done here. Some very careful examination has been done by several people, myself included, and as we look at these passages... It appears that this does not follow the precise order that people are trying to suggest that was being followed. We don't have the precise order as was given by Rabbi Halal, who was the rabbi who codified the Passover Seder. It is not the same. 
Some people have looked at it and they have suggested that the gospel writers made an error in their giving of the account of what actually took place, that they didn't quite get it right and that we really know what they did, but that there is a slight error based on the traditions that were performed back in that time period. Some people have suggested that, but there is another explanation as to why this would be the way that it is. And the explanation is that there is a distinction between the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a very important distinction to make, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to talk about it on this broadcast. I'll be able to summarize but not give you a lot of details. If you are interested in details, I have done a series on accounting for the three days and three nights that the Lord Jesus was in the grave. And in that series of broadcasts, I did give details with respect to this, and so I would have to defer you to those programs. But in this case, I'm just going to summarize and tell you that there is a distinction in the law between the Passover meal and the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These two terms were being used synonymously at this time, In this time period in history, they were being used synonymously, and they have been used synonymously since then, but there is a distinction, and really all that you have to do is just read through the law very carefully, and you'll be able to quickly identify the distinction. Now, the distinction is that the Passover meal was the eating of a lamb and bitter herbs. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you generally did not eat lamb, but instead you ate other things, and it was usually a big meal, and the Passover Seder actually occurs. The Passover Seder was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was not the Passover meal, or what's called the Paschal meal. It was a different festival, which was only 24 hours later, but that's the issue, is that the Passover Seder is actually the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's not the Passover meal. And so when people suggest that they are participating in Passover, as Jesus did during his evening before he was crucified, technically they are a day late and a law short. Technically, that's the reality. And so what the Lord Jesus was doing was, in fact, something different from the Passover Seder. And again, a detailed explanation for that is something that I'm not going to do in this broadcast just for the sake of time. Because what I really want to focus on here is not the Passover, is not the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but instead to introduce the subject of the Lord's Supper. You see, when we look at what Jesus did during this Last Supper, he did some very important things. For example, when he took the bread, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, making the transition of focus from remembrance on Egypt to now remembrance on what he has done to set them free from the world and to set them free from sin in the flesh. This is a very different remembrance. Now, when he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. Now, when he gave thanks, we don't know precisely what blessing he gave or how he gave thanks. We don't know for sure, but chances are he would follow the traditional giving of thanks or the traditional prayer or blessing that had been given during that time era in this time period of the history of Israel. There was a blessing, and this blessing has actually survived all the way to this day and is given regularly in many Jewish households and in synagogues. The blessing in Hebrew is Baruch HaTaronai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMotzi Lechem Min HaAretz Amen, which means, Blessed be the Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. And I sincerely believe that this is a prophetic prayer, that if this was the prayer that the Lord gave when he gave thanks for the bread, really had a very powerful prophetic inference to it. 
because we know that the Lord Jesus identified himself as the true bread from heaven. The true bread, this was revealed in the Gospel of John, and if we know that he is the true bread, and he's giving thanks to God for bringing forth the bread from the earth, we know that it won't be very long before the Lord God will bring forth the Lord Jesus from the earth. This is a very important statement when you consider the salvation that he has provided. He was resurrected from the dead, brought forth from the earth, and in the bringing forth of the Messiah from the earth, he was then able to restore to us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam, that would then resurrect us from the dead. And that is the very solution for the problem between man and God. The salvation of humanity is the restoration of the life of God. This is the good news. And he identifies himself as the bread that would come from heaven and that would be resurrected from the dead. And he's giving thanks for what the Lord God is about to do. I believe that's what he was conveying when he gave thanks with respect to the bread and referring to remembrance of him. Now, after salvation, what do we do then? Well, from there, we now begin to live a life of dependency on our God, dependency on and trust in what he has given to us as a result of what he has done for us. And that is a completely different way of life. There are many people that suggest that living a life under the law is the same thing. But I'm telling you, it is a very, very different way of life, a clear distinction. And as many people have made sincere attempts to try to reconcile the two, I honestly see no way it is possible. The new way that we now live in is not a life of trying to obtain blessings from God or trying to do things in order to obtain his favor or trying to do things in order to demonstrate that we love him. That's not the issue. The issue is that we now do as a result of what he has given to us with what he has given to us. We use that to live our daily lives. That is a completely different way of life, a completely different way of living. This was expressed through the wine. When he gave the blessing for the wine, the blessing was Baruch Eloheno Gofen, which means Blessed be the Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And as we know in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus has identified himself very well as the vine and that we are the branches. And as we live a dependent life on him, he will produce his fruit within and through us. That is something that he will do. That is not something that we will do. So I believe that this Passover meal and the way that he structured it and the way that he presented it was an introduction to the new covenant. And the prayers that he gave were definitely an opportunity if he did use the traditional prayers that were being used at the time of the Lord Jesus. If he used them, there is a very powerful prophetic statement that is given there with regards to salvation and the new life that we now live in according to the new covenant which is why I believe he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. It was because of what he did for us on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that it was possible for the Lord God to restore the spirit of life that had been lost, to resurrect us from the dead, so that we can walk in the new covenant that has been given to us. And so understand that the most important thing to realize about the Last Supper of the Lord Jesus, I believe the most important thing to realize is to understand that this is about Passover. This is about remembering one thing before, remembering freedom from Egypt, and now remembering freedom from the world. 
beforehand, the important thing was to understand the salvation that we received from Egypt, and now the important thing is to understand the salvation that we have now received as a result of what the Messiah has done for us. That is the most important thing to understand about what is being presented here in the Lord's Supper that he's using the Passover and the laws of Passover in order to relate the more important spiritual truths of the gospel. That is the most important thing that's being described here. And it's important to understand the foundation of this because there are many doctrines that are often built off of a misunderstanding of what the Lord Jesus was actually doing. For example, the subject of communion and the subject of sacraments and many other things that are derived from a religious point of view often come from this presentation that the Lord Jesus made and many people are consumed with the performance of certain rituals that have been derived from this, not understanding the history of this, not understanding the culture of this, not understanding the law of Moses, and not understanding the prophetic foreshadowings of the law that are now being revealed as realities through the Lord Jesus by what he's doing. Instead, people start creating new kinds of sacraments and new religious activities that completely take away from the truths that the Lord Jesus is definitely relating here. And in addition to that, many people are presenting additional ideas that have nothing to do with what the Lord Jesus was doing here in order to assert other doctrines, in order to assert other perspectives about what our life in Christ should really be about now. That is an unfortunate reality, but that is what we deal with and that is what we live with. And so this is my introduction to the subject of the Lord's Supper. It is a very important introduction because I've described the historical and cultural roots or aspects of what was taking place when the Lord Jesus was performing his last supper that we refer to as the Lord's Supper. And it's important to understand that because it's that very context that we are to build everything from. If you take something out of its context and take something completely out of what it was intended to be to begin with, then it's very easy to create all kinds of things that have nothing to do with what the Lord Jesus wanted to see happen to begin with. And so tune in for the next broadcast. In the next broadcast, I will continue this teaching on the Lord's Supper. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.